Good morning. Uh, my name is Efren Pena. I am the campus pastor here at Southfield Santa Clarita. So if you're here for the first time in person or you're online watching us uh, through our social media platforms, we want to welcome you to South Hills. Uh, we hope that you uh, enjoy your time with us this uh, morning. And uh, it's going to be really, really great if it haven't, hasn't been so uh, thus far. We are jumping into a, a, a new series here, but before I do that, I just want to say that we absolutely love our volunteers. We love the people that come uh, early, who sacrifice their family time, who come and are part of helping us do church on Sundays, right? Uh, church, uh, contrary what, to what some of you may think, uh, when you come in the morning, it's it wasn't like this, right? We People actually had to kind of put things in place, kind of clean, set things up, uh, get ready uh, to make Sundays happen, whether that be in children's ministry and students, uh, to greet people at the door, our sound, our worship team. Um, it takes a lot of people to make church happen. And this morning we, uh, we were able, we were given the opportunity to uh, acknowledge our volunteers, those who, who, who come and uh, help us put it together to make church happen. And, and our dear friend Frankie uh, blessed us and our volunteers by providing a, a full-on breakfast, a morning breakfast for them. Yeah. Uh, and I know some of you are like, okay, breakfast. Because, see, I'm not talking about that continental breakfast where you got to make your own stuff, right, where you got to take the, the spread and you got to do it yourself. And nobody really likes doing that. I don't like continental breakfast. I know that that, that looks doesn't look it, right? Sure, she brought in someone, uh, a little chef there, and was able to whoop up. There was the bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches. There was scrambled eggs. There was stuff I didn't even know what it was. It, it was. It looked good. Right, but I had to. I eat with my eyes. I was like, "That looked good," but I don't know what it is. Right, but it was uh, French toast. It was incredible, incredible. And so Frankie blessed all of our volunteers uh, uh, with that. And so over the next several weeks, we morning uh, over the next several weeks. And so if you're a volunteer and you did were not scheduled to come in today, you'll probably be scheduled the over the next uh, two Sundays as we want to honor you as well. Uh, but in particular, I want to take the moment to, to honor uh, uh, and, and kind of call out some volunteers who uh, over the last, since we've opened, have been an incredible blessing to Monica and I and have helped us uh, do a lot of what we do here at church uh, and make it happen both for uh, those in person and those who are watching online. And that is our tech team. Uh, our tech team back there have been an incredible blessing. Uh, there are three guys. Uh, they go in size order almost. And uh, uh, if, if you look back there, Rich is actually standing on a box trying to be tall. 
Uh, just get COVID. It's bad. I, shame on me. Uh, but uh, these men have, uh, uh, they do it themselves. There's only three guys back there. I don't think we could fit anyone else uh, back there. But they have uh, served faithfully. Um, they serve at both services. I've yet to hear any of them, any of them complain uh, about that. They are running around trying to make sure the worship team is sounding good and, and doing what they need to do, They're making sure that uh, our stuff uh, is, is, you can see on the screens and the words and all of that stuff, just so much technical stuff. Um, I know they probably mumble stuff under their mask. It's hard to see now if people mumble stuff, but I know when I tell them stuff, they're probably mumbling under suffering succotash, right? Um, when, when I say stuff, but I am truly blessed and honored uh, by them uh, and the work that they've put in uh, over COVID. It has been very difficult to try to get what God has put in my heart to, to the community, to, to you guys. And they have uh, sacrificed. They've been in here in the heat. We, we had no AC at times and they've done their part. And so this today, I want to honor them for their work that they do. And, and I have a little something for you guys, uh, a little something, something just to, to say thanks, just a, a desire to, to bring your best, to do your best and to help us do what God has called us to do here. And so, uh, Monica, would you take them those, that little gift, a little token of our appreciation for you? Let's give it up one more time for our tech team. Now, you all know me, right? And you know how I do. And so it would go, right? As soon as I called them, I said, man, how, what an incredible job they were doing. My mic started going out, right? And so I decided to get them something in the second service just in case they were sabotaging it, right? And so see how quickly we work? I, I work, I figure, I see you guys. I recognize, right? Making sure my mic is still working. Uh, but no, I appreciate you guys so much. And so we, as I mentioned before, we are in this series titled Graceland, right? Graceland. And so with uh, the COVID lockdowns, the political mayhem, the racial tension, the economic implosion, and the cancer culture that is happening all around us, right? We're living in a land overrun by angry opinions and uh, uh, the uh, decisive uh, declarations. And this can't be God's best for us. This can't be God's hope for humanity, right? Jesus entered into the chaos of his day to demonstrate a better way to be in and see the world. He invited his followers to help him bring heaven to earth, to restore something lost in the garden long ago, right? He wanted to bring about Graceland, to provide grace, Right, a grace that we learned last week that empowers us, that empowers us to overcome the hurts and the pains and the disappointments of this world and our lives. And today, a grace that empowers us to overcome our pride. Overcome our pride. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever had a time when you told someone to do something and they did the opposite, almost as if to spite you? <laughs> I ain't even gonna look at that group, right? I'm not calling no one out here. If you have kids, right? If you have kids, if you've been married long enough, if you have brothers or sisters, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People that don't want to take your advice, your opinions, 
It almost feels they do it to spite you. These moments are frustrating, especially if you're just trying to help. Maybe you see something that they don't take. You're trying to save them from uh, looking foolish. You're trying to save them from experiencing unnecessary pain, unnecessary heartache, right? Unnecessary suffering. I have two young adults, so I know what I'm talking about, right? It almost feels like as my kids have grown up, I have two younger ones and they just absorb what we take and and try to figure out what is exactly what mom and and dad are trying to say and how they can follow through with that. And then I have two older young adults who, who, who hear what mom and dad are saying but don't necessarily feel like they should do what mom and dad are saying. And so you find yourself angrily asking, why don't they just do what I want them to do? Why don't they do what I want them to do? Probably the same reason you don't want to do what other people tell you. Oh, wait, did I say that too loud? I'm sorry. Right? I'm sorry. You don't do what, people don't do what you want them to do for the same reason you don't do what other people tell you to do. You see, we don't like being told what to do. We like being given a room to discover who we really are. We want to make our own mistakes. We want to feel like we know what's best for ourselves. But isn't that our pushback when someone forces advice on us? You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it's like to be me. We're not the same person. Let me figure this out on myself, by myself, followed by the psst. Right? You give the attitude. You feel like, hey, don't, don't come to me like you know me, like you, you've experienced what I've experienced or going through what I'm going through. I'm trying to figure this out on myself. You laugh because you know it's true. Ever notice that we all seem to want to tell other people how to live, but we don't want anybody telling us how to live? Oh, yeah, now I'm in your kitchen. Well, I was thinking, you should have done that with that. You should have put the curtain over here. You should have put that. Yeah, but you should. No, no, don't tell me what to do. I tell the room. This is my house. Don't tell me to do it in my house, right? But we are so quick to tell other people how to do and what to do, mostly because... They don't get or understand what I'm going through. But I'm pretty sure I see their situation clearly. I know what they're going through, right? And if they would just take my suggestions, life would be so much better for them. There's a word for that approach to life. You're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. So let me whisper it to you. All right, let me whisper it to you so that no one gets offended. Uh, the people at home, I'll, you know, I'll whisper loud enough in my mic so you can hear it. Right? That word is called pride. Pride. I'll spell it for you. P-R-I-D-E. Pride. Right? Pride is needing others to acknowledge your right. Needing others to acknowledge that you're in charge, that you're the boss, that you're in control. It's resentment over being doubted for being questioned or challenged. It's the drive to be seen as superior. I know what I'm doing. You should follow what I do. 
you should take heed, right? And we hate pride in other people, but it's hard to see it in ourselves. In fact, when we identify someone else as being prideful, Right? When we start pointing fingers as that person is prideful, that person has a lot of pride. There's something in us that wants them to be taken, for them to be taken down a notch or two. We want them to be put in their place, to be taught a lesson. We think, oh man, they're wrong. They're wrong and, and I'm going to show them just how wrong they are. You'll see. So ironically, our impulse is to fight pride with more pride. Fight pride with more pride. In this corner, we have pride. And in this corner, we have pride number two. And pride on pride is about to have a fight. The question doesn't become, how do we do away with pride? It now becomes, which is more powerful, your pride or my pride? My pride can beat up your pride because my pride is good and your pride is bad. Mine's is bueno, yours no bueno, right? That's our approach to things. Every time we find ourselves rises up from within and all of a sudden, you want to tell people what to do and how to do it. Isn't that the image most people have of religious people? Oh. Wasn't that your view of the church and those in it before you came and checked out the church? That's the truth. You're in church, you can say yes. Right? You thought that the people inside, right, the people inside had this thing about them, right? That, that they, they, they had everything figured out and can't wait to tell you what you're doing wrong and how you could do it so much better. Isn't that why so many of the people that you know don't want to come to church or have anything to do with the church or Christians? Because their perspective is that the Christians think they know it all. Now, I don't like that fact because it's a fact, but I get it. I get it. It's hard not to lecture someone on what to do when you're convinced you're right and they're wrong. But let me tell you something, fighting pride with pride doesn't work that well because most people don't respond positively to being lectured. How many of you like being lectured? None of us like being lectured. I failed lectured 101. I don't like being lectured. You don't like being lectured. So that leaves us at a stalemate. So how do we wake people up to the truth? How do we push past the red tape? How do we make it known to the world that it's not what they think? And this is what makes the Jesus story so interesting. If Jesus is God, then he knows everything. He knows everything God knows and he's always right. He's the personification of truth, which brings up a big question. Why were those who were disgusted by religion drawn to Jesus? Why did they want to hang out with Jesus? Why did they follow him wherever he went? If they did not want anything to do with the church, if the church had offended them, if the church had put, them, uh, put these thoughts in their heads and offended them, why did people want to hang out with Jesus? Why did they want to get to know him? 
There's a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 19 of a guy who, who was not a religious follower, who did not believe, but he was intrigued. And he wanted to know more about this Jesus. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 4 says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief collector in the region and had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. First of all, this is not to offend all the short people. Right? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, would, I would never need to climb. I'm, I can see above people, but some of you are a little shorter than Norm. And so maybe you can relate to, to Zacchaeus, right? You need to push through the crowd. You need to find out what's going on. You need to step on a box, right? But Zacchaeus, or we're going to call, we're going to refer to him as Shorty. Is it okay with you? We're going to refer to him as Shorty, uh, was a tax collector. And he was a rich tax collector who liked to climb on trees because he was short, right? So Jericho, right, the city that he was uh, in was ruled by Rome, which is uh, overtaxed, right, which overtaxes people. And the Romans didn't care how the tax collectors, their tax collectors got their money or even how much they kept for themselves just as long as Rome got what was Rome's. As long as Rome was paid what Rome deserved, they didn't care how you got it, how much you got, just give Rome what Rome deserved. So the taxing they could out of people by intimidation, right, by force and threats. Shorty, right, Shorty may have been more rich and more powerful than us, but we were better than him because we knew, we knew Jesus, we knew God. If you know Jesus, you're on God's side of things, right? And God is coming to town, right? And you couldn't wait for this showdown. Right? You couldn't wait. To the west, we have Jesus coming on a donkey or walking or whatever. And then you have Zacchaeus up on a tree. He's already scared. And this battle, this showdown was going to take place. Right? And we're thinking, I cannot wait for Jesus to cancel this short stock of a man. He's going to put him, he's going to lay the smack down on him. He's going to tell him how it is, that he is wrong, that Jesus is right, that he's wrong, that Jesus is everything. He's going to tell him, he's going to grind it into him. Another interesting note is that it would have been unusual for men to climb, to run and climb on trees. <laughs> That's the... They had no parquet going on in Jesus' time, right? There was no people bouncing off the walls and jumping on tree limbs and trying to get to the top, right? But it would have been really unusual, especially if you were a high-ranking official, if you were a high-ranking, you were rich, right? That you didn't, there was no need for you to, to, to mess up your clothes. You were, you were dressed in the finest, and you didn't, you didn't want to climb and get all that sap on your tree. So you didn't, you didn't climb the tree, so as shady as this guy's past was, he was clearly looking to look foolish to chase down his curiosity about Jesus. He wanted to get a better view of this Jesus. Let's continue to read 
Verse 5 says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Jesus went to hang out with him. His home in this culture was a sign of approval, of acceptance. So when Jesus went to eat at this guy's house, who everybody hated because uh, all of the ways that he had taken advantage of them, right? He had taken advantage of so many people. They were outraged. They were mad that Jesus would do this. Jesus should be laying the smack down on this dude, putting this guy in his place, telling him how wrong he is, that he is a sinner, that he needs to stop doing what he's doing. But Jesus did nothing of the kind. Why? Because Jesus prioritized connecting with the lost over convincing them they were lost. That wasn't Jesus' agenda to try to correct people at that precise moment. Jesus seemed to think that you could show love to a person without loving everything that person did or stood for or voted for or posted on social media or donated to. And this was the conflict to live, but Jesus wanted to first show the loss that they were loved. Oh, man. Could you imagine that? That Jesus came to love people. Not to point out their sins, but to love on them. Jesus had a lot to say about the best way to live. Jesus had a lot of input on how we should be living our lives, but he didn't tend to confront or, or correct people he didn't have a close relationship with. Those moments came after the fact that they were plugged in, after the fact that, that he already had built a relationship, that confidence in their friendship, Right, that point, at that point in time, Jesus was ready to tell him, hey, this is what you should be doing. But at the very initial point of contact, Jesus was all about loving them. In fact, Jesus seemed to believe that in some strange way, kindness was its own form of correction. That by being kind to others, it shows something without saying something. It led with actions over words. That's a thought. Action over words to show kindness first before we started pointing the faults. See how wonderfully kind, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn, front, turn you from your sin? And that's what grace does, church. That's what grace does. Grace doesn't call people out. It calls people up to live in alignment with God's elevated view of them. We need to see people the way Jesus sees them. People that should be loved and accepted. There seems to be some truth in this, at least the way we see it play out in Zacchaeus' life. 
Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I cheated people uh, on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Wow. Wow. Something about being with Jesus made him want to give to people he'd always taken from. That's the mark of real relationship, of a real relationship with a real Jesus. That the closer you get to Jesus, the more you find yourself wanting to love others the way he loved you, even when it cost you. That the more you step into your relationship, the more that you mature, the more that you grow in your walk with Jesus, the more the transformation begins to play itself out and you no longer find yourself attracted to those things that used to stumble you, right? You now feel that his grace and his love and his acceptance over you allows you now to experience something that you never had before and positions you now to share that with those around you. Jesus' response which Jesus, uh, Jesus responds to this in a really interesting way. In Luke chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, it says, uh, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. <laughs> man, I find it so interesting that in that dialogue between him and Shorty, did Jesus say, hey, dude, you need a, you need a change. You need to do things differently. No, he acknowledges that he has changed. Right? What broke this guy's pride wasn't being confronted by another prideful person who tried to put him in his place by lecturing him on what to and not to do. What transformed him was the humility the humility of Jesus who saw him as a real person who was hurting who was struggling, right? And he was willing to love him. He was willing to serve him. He was willing to befriend him despite his sins, despite his wrongdoings, all of which Jesus did without compromising his own values. Woo! Some of us think that in order to love and do life with uh, other people who are not just yet, uh, have, don't have a relationship with Jesus, that we get ourselves in their situation and act like they do. And I want to tell you this one, that's not absolutely true at all. That you can still hold on to your values. That you can still be who God created you to be. And yet you can still love and accept those who find themselves outside of a relationship with Jesus. Simply by loving people. Jesus was sometimes called the friend of sinners. The friend of sinners, when people spent time with him, they felt more loved. When people, when people hung out with him, they felt more accepted. They felt more hopeful and more whole when they were around Jesus. Is that true for you? Is that true of you? That when people hang out with you, do the people around you feel more loved, more accepted, more hopeful, more whole? If not, then maybe you're not really following Jesus. 
if those that we do life with, if those that we hang out with, that we spend a lot of time with, if their lives are not being impacted by us for the better, if they don't feel welcomed, if they don't feel accepted, if they don't feel loved, they don't feel hopeful, more hopeful than they did before you, then we really have to look deep inside and ask ourselves, man, is my relationship with Jesus real? Maybe you're just pridefully trying to get everyone to believe what you believe is best. But I've got to tell you, you're not going to defeat pride with more pride. You're not going to win that battle, and here's why. First Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 5 says, And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourselves. Church, I need you to get this, right? You can't give away what you haven't received. You can't give away what you haven't received. The only way to receive grace is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Do not let pride get in the way of what God is trying to do in your life. So let me wrap this up. You can't give away what you haven't received, right? You can't give away what you haven't received. You can't give grace to others. You can't give love to others if you yourself have not received his grace. If you yourself have not been loved by him. The only way to receive grace is to humble yourself, to surrender yourself, to allow God to take over your life. Because everything and anything else is just talk, man. It's just talk. It's just you wanting to be a certain way. But deep down inside, you're not allowing yourself to share what God has bestowed upon you. We can play that music, please. And the kind of humility toward God enables us to be humble towards others. Right? That kind of humility toward God enables us to be humble towards others and we become a conduit of God's grace, allowing it to pass from him through us onto others. Do you see how that works? That when we humble ourselves before God and we allow God to do a work in us, he bestows us with his grace and through us he uses that grace to give to others. To give to people who have not heard of Jesus yet. To give to those you do life with. The people that you love that have not entered the church. That have not heard about this Jesus. It allows them to get a, a tree view of who Jesus is. You see, you may not have heard this before. But the truth of the matter is that you are the Jesus to your world. You are who Jesus has called to share this love. To share the grace with others. We're too quick to try to grab someone to come to church so they can experience it for themselves. But what if we would just share what God has done in us, through us, onto them? So who is your shorty? Who is your Zacchaeus, right? 
This isn't just a nice story about how Jesus loves and serves people. No, he loved and served the most difficult people to love. He chose the person that was the most difficult person to love, the one that was ripping people off. Imagine that. Someone comes to your home and says, give me all you got because you owe it. But sir, no, I don't care what you have to say. If you don't give me what you got, these guys behind me are going to break everything in your, in your house. They're going to break your legs if they have to, but you better pay up. But I haven't fed my kids. I don't care about your kids. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't someone who was loved. Zacchaeus was labeled as a bad dude. Not bad meaning good, but bad meaning bad. Nobody wanted to associate with Zacchaeus except for Jesus. Jesus went out and said, I'm going to go hang out with him. I'm going to hang out with his house. Why? Because I want to show the world. I want to show people that I love him. That I love the sinner. And the disgrace, this grace that I give to those who love me, I'm still willing to share it with those who have not heard about me, who have not humbled themselves the wrong way. Who is it that you want to tell off? Who is it that 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 you that gets under your skin? Who that if you could, you would say, Man, I don't like you. I don't like anything about you. Because I want to tell you this morning that that impulse isn't of God. That yucky feeling that you have for that person isn't of God. That impulse is pride. Flaring itself up. So what would happen if you went out of your way to love them like Jesus loved Zacchaeus? What would happen if you went out of your way to love them like Jesus loved them? Because in all honesty, that's who Jesus loves. That's who Jesus came to give up his life for. That's who Jesus gave his grace to, to the sinner, to me, to my wife, to everyone in this room, and to everyone who has never stepped inside of a church. He came to give them them. And that's who Jesus wants you to love. That's who Jesus wants you to do life with. He wants you to share the grace that he's given you. The grace that empowers us to overcome our pride. So leave here, church putting down your grace and putting down your pride and picking up your grace and your love for those who don't think like you for those who don't dress like you for those who don't act like you for those who don't talk like you share what God has shared with you Amen